Amen. Um, I'm going to quickly, uh, I'm going to be in Philippians 3. I'm going to go through the chapter of Philippians 3, but I'm going to sum up the first few verses. Uh, verses like 1 through uh, 6, and then I'm going to pop on 7. We're going to read through Philippians 3, 7. Um, because, uh, frankly, I'm excited for today. I really believe God has a word. I believe that the Lord is, uh, has an encouragement for some of you guys. And so um, I want to give you a quick background. So Paul is writing the Philippian church, and this is a church that he holds very dearly to his heart. It's a church that he, first, it was his first church plant in Europe. So when he's writing to them, he has a familiarness to, to who the people that are there. This is a letter that's not just a sense of a bunch of warnings and rebukes, but it's also something, it's encouragements, it's reminiscing with them, it's thanking them for the generosity. So Paul, when he's writing to this church, he knows this church well. And so he's speaking to them in a way that's not just, there is, there is um, equity there, right? And so he opens up chapter 3 saying this, Rejoice in the Lord. I never get tired of telling you these things, and I do it in the strength to strengthen your faith. And so what I, what I love about even the opener is this. He's saying, hey, first and foremost, no matter what, no matter what, what, what I'm about to share with you, no matter what you're feeling right now, let's take a minute and rejoice in the Lord. And then he says, more, you know, even more so, I just want to give you a heads up. This is probably something you may have already heard from me. And here's what I love about that. It should never get boring to us rehearing a word that God has. It should never get to a place in our lives where when we hear something that we've heard before, we instantly check out or think, I kind of already know this. I think there's something important about being able to sit and when somebody's sharing and speaking over it, even if you already heard it, say, Lord, what do you have for me in this? What are you speaking through me in this? So already he's letting them know, this is something you already heard. And then he takes like a really kind of like hard left turn. And uh, he says to them, warns them to beware of these dogs and evildoers. Okay, so he says, rejoice in the Lord. I have a word for you that you may have already heard. Beware of these dogs and these evil people. It's the most awkward, in my opinion, intro. And I'm like, what in the world is he thinking? And he was passionate and upset about something that was going on in the church. And what he meant by being aware of these dogs and evildoers, let me explain. So in the Jewish culture, a dog, which is already kind of an awkward thing to call somebody. It's not like the most derogatory thing, I think, in today, but it's still awkward if you're like, man, that person's a dog. But it is, for that culture, it literally, it was one of the most offensive things you could say to somebody. It meant that they were immorally impure. They had nothing good in them. And so often, in the Jewish culture, Jude, uh, Jewish individuals would call Gentiles this because they felt like they were that low. And so Paul uses a term that they are often used to Gentiles on them because of what he's about to share with frustration. So he says, beware of these people, these Judaizers. They were going around the church and they were getting them to walk in legalism. And essentially what they were trying to get them to do is live in the Old Testament law. 
And if they worked hard and they worked hard and they did the things that this law told them to do, then they would have right standing with God. They would earn the merit of salvation. So they were going around these churches and when Paul heard this, it's the polar opposite of the gospel. The polar opposite of the gospel. So Paul was coming with passion. And he was looking at, as he was writing this, he was writing it with passion because he wanted them to understand the importance of what he's about to say. So he said something that would immediately catch them. Beware of these people. They're about to do something. They're trying to draw you back to something that's old for some. There are some uh, believers that used to be Jewish, right? Used to walk in that culture and walked in that law in that way. And he's saying, do not go back to the old. Do not go back to the old. And for some, he was talking to some that for Gentiles, they were familiar with the law, but they weren't really bound by it. So now there's this confusing thing. Well, I want to live holy and righteous. And so I do want to, I want to do the things that God says. Are these the things that God is saying to do? So he's saying, do not get confused by these people. And then he says this, and I love this. So he gives a warning. He gives a direct warning. And this is my belief. Anytime that there is a warning that's coming from God, there should be hope on the other side of that warning. So when you're coming in and you're sharing something with a friend, or you're speaking over somebody, if you're not bringing life to the conversation and it's just doom and gloom and there's no turn, you're not representing the gospel of Jesus Christ. So he says to them, so beware of these people. They're stuck in this Old Testament law. But he says, but we worship by the Spirit of God. We don't worship by the Old Testament law. He says, so he says to them, be aware of this. I want you to be, I want you to see this. I want you not to fall into this. And I don't want you to feel guilty as if you need to do this. But we understand one thing. We don't need to abide into this because we worship God with spirit, not by a law. And he says, we rely on what Christ has done for us, not what man can do for us. So when he's speaking to them, he's not just walking in with a heaviness of them and, and, and convicting them. Because I bet you there probably was some that were looking and maybe even debating, you know, should I fall back into this thing that I know is not the true word of God? Has anybody ever felt that way where God's delivered you from something and you begin to walk in freedom, but then you start to think to yourself, and, you know, maybe is this thing as good as I, is as bad as I thought it would be? Because maybe I need to, maybe, I need, and he's saying, look at, no, remember this one thing. We worship God with spirit and we rely on Christ alone, not man. And he speaks, he speaks life over them. He speaks life over them. But then he says this, he says, but if there's, so after he does that, he goes, but if there's anybody who could brag about this, walk in this, it would be me. So he says, so let me tell you how I used to live And he begins to list the things that he used to do, his advantages, the things that he counted as value, the things that once before Christ, he held tight to. So he goes, if there's anybody who can boast in these things that the Judaizers are trying to tell you guys to do, it would be me. I was once them. He goes, I was circumcised when I was eight days old. Awkward, but that was a very important thing in the Jewish culture. And it meant that you were abiding under that law. So he's like, I even, I was the, you know, I got circumcised when I was eight days old. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel from the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew, if there was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demanded strict obedience to the Jewish law. I was full of zeal. I harshly and proudly persecuted the church. 
And as, the, and, and as for following the law, I was the most righteous. I obeyed the law without fault. He says, so as I'm telling you to be aware of and be aware of this and not to fall back into an Old Testament law and back into religious duties and back into striving to go, uh, follow Christ. He goes, if there was anybody that could boast, if there was anybody that actually had a security in this, it would be me. I was a Hebrew of all Hebrews. My bloodline rode deep in this. But he says, but, and he moves into what, he, what he's about to do in verse 7. You ready? This is what he says. What he once thought was of value, he says this. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. For his sake, I've discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Jesus. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection of the dead. Paul had known the Jewish religion completely, but after meeting Christ, Paul gave up what once he thought was gain, which was once of profit, which was once of great value. He gave that all up that now he saw that as something of just disgrace to walk in fullness with God. What once was of great profit, what once was something many people in his culture strive to do, grab a hold of. He said, once I locked my eyes on Christ, once I understood who God was, once he came into my life, I counted all of that garbage None of that mattered. None of that was worth it. I stopped striving for man's approval. I stopped striving to meet religious law. And I began to walk in fullness in Christ and chase after God. He says, that is what became the most important thing to me. He says, I want to, he put those things aside. He says, here's what I'm picking up. I want to know Christ and his power of the resurrection. John 15, 4, 5 says this, abide in me. And in you, abide in me and in I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he, is at, he will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Paul knew the most valuable thing in life that was his greatest gift was only found in Jesus and abiding in him. To abide means to make a home, to live, and to dwell with Jesus. Paul understood the most important thing. The only thing now at this point I want to know is Jesus. The only thing I want my life to be attached to, the only thing I want to put all my effort into, the only thing that I want to make sure daily I am going after is Jesus. 
everything else. He didn't say everything else but my family, but my health, but my success in my job, but my grades in school. I will throw everything else as garbage but blank. He said everything apart from you I count as garbage because I'm going to cling to what matters the most, which is you alone. Today's culture, it's so easy. We may not, you may not be able to relate to this side of an Old Testament law. I hope not. I hope none of you guys are still practicing that. That'd be weird. Um, go see Andrew. He and I are leaving after this, but go see Andrew if you're doing that. Uh, but maybe you guys have set up your own type of laws that you've been following now. Your own religious duties, your own desires in your heart. Man, God, if I can just get blank then I'll have fullness in you. That's my gain. That's my profit. Man, God, if, if, if people only saw me this way, then man, Lord, I just know that there will be something that will click with me and you and then I'll just have a fullness in you. If I could just study hard enough your word of God and quote it, if I had a bunch of one-liners, everybody culturally now loves Christian one-liners. But you know what fades? One-liners if they're not rooted in the word of God. What he, Paul was trying to get at is, if you want to cling to something that matters the most, let go of the things that you're putting in front of you and calling these things ways to move forward as merits in salvation. They're not. They will just strain you and hold you back from what God has for you. We all do it. We all have things that we put in place of God and said, well, if we can just do this and get this far, if I can quit messing around and be fully sanctified here on earth and, and meaning like I have no issues and, and no struggles, then Jesus is really going to love me and I'm really going to understand him in a deeper way. We are cheapening what grace is and mercy is at that point. So maybe you cannot relate to the Old Testament law. Maybe a lot of you guys are like, well, I don't really, I don't know what are religious duties. Well, I know a lot of people I walk with, man, and some of them will say, I don't understand. I'm reading my Bible, I'm doing my devotion, and I'm still struggling with blank. Well, here's the problem. They're, they're considering that to bridge to Christ, but Christ's death and resurrection was the bridge to Christ. The other things in that are what we do to strive towards Christ, meaning those are the things we grow deeper in so that we can focus on the one that we're called to live with. Those things are not the bridge. Does that make sense? But we'll do that. So when Paul says, I put it all behind him, maybe for you guys, you're like, well, great. Well, I'm, I want you to challenge yourself in this way. What, are, what is God saying? You need to start putting that behind you. You just need to start putting that behind you. That thing that you think you really need, that thing you think is going to draw me closer to you is actually pushing us apart. You know what draws us closer to God? Keeping our eyes fixed on him. You know what draws us closer to God? Spending time in his presence daily. Just meditating on his word. This is what draws us closer to God. But when we begin to put, other, what, and none of these things are bad. Hear me out. Family's not bad. Success isn't bad. Reading the word of God is good. Do it. But when it becomes the thing you put on the throne of God, it becomes a bad thing. And so he says, the one thing I want to have is I, I want to know Christ and in his power in resurrection. And then he says, I want to share in his pain and suffering. Paul is writing this while he's in prison. So he's in the Roman prison and he says, he is in suffering. So I want to even share this. Sometimes I think we culturally don't fully understand like Paul, sometimes Paul's life and like what he went through. I think it's like hard. 
But you know, prison then was like, you know, like Paul and Silas in prison and you ever do that in children's church and you're like coloring the picture of Paul and Silas and somehow they snuck in like a tambourine and like some symbol. You're like, they had tambourines in prison and those shackles don't look that bad. Do you know, do you understand in a Roman prison, they would lock you to a point where they would purposely put your body in certain parts that if you move, it would put so much strain and cramping that you couldn't that it would push you in positions that you would be in so much pain. So Paul wasn't just sitting in prison being like eating, glutton, working. I mean, honestly, there was none of that there. It was, it was meant to be gloomy and dark and depressing and feeling lifeless. But Paul was so rooted in God that even while he was in prison, he was writing life to the people that he loved. And so he says this, he says, I want to share in his pain and suffering. Romans 8, 17 through 18 says this, now if we are children, then we are his hearers, his hearers of God and co-hearers with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory, I consider that a present suffering are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us in Jesus. Part of walking with God is embracing the fact that it's going to have some pains and it's going to have some suffering. And I know we hate to hear that because it doesn't sound like a hippie God that most of us like. You know, I like to hear about the God is like, whatever you want, it's yours. It's so much easier to preach. It really is. It's like, what do you need? Come up front, he'll do it for you. That's just not who the Father is. He gives you good gifts that he has already prepared for you before you came here on earth. And that when the more you seek him, your will will begin to line up with his will. And then the things you begin to seek and ask for, you will see because it's no longer what you're desiring, but what God has placed in you. So pain and suffering is part of our walk. You can't avoid it, but God. In this world, we will face many trials and tribulations, but don't take, but take heart. Why? Because I have overcome the world. But God. So he says, one of the things I want to partake in is not just the good, he says. Actually, he doesn't even, he says, I want to share in the pain and suffering because persecution was constantly around the corner because he had one goal, which was to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says, my life is worth nothing unless it's to pour it out for the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that's what he writes. He goes, so I want to, I want to know Jesus and his power and resurrection. I want to share in his pain and suffering. And lastly, my favorite, and he says, and share in his death. Galatians 5.24 says this, it means that they must think of themselves as dead to sin. Romans, that's Romans 6.11. And then Roman, uh, excuse me, Galatians 2.20 uh, 2, says this, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He wants to share in his death. He wants to completely die to himself because he knows at the end of the day, the greatest gift is living with Christ in resurrection life. It's super hard sometimes. It's super hard sometimes for us to be living in both senses, meaning like there's a part of us that's like, man, I really miss what once was. But when we begin to go down that road, we begin to walk in again what God has fully delivered us from. Don't go back to the things that the Lord delivered you from. 
You want to know why he was warning them? Because sometimes when you get into habits, right, and you're walking out this life with the Lord, you begin to forget the truth. Sometimes it just becomes falling on deaf ears. So when he was talking with them, he wasn't trying to convict them and tell them that they were um, weak or, or, or incapable. He was trying to encourage them and say, keep going. Remember what God delivered you from. Don't go back to the old. He says, why does it matter? Well, at the end of this life, he says, my greatest gain is in the heavenly prize, which is eternal life with Christ. That's what he says. That's my greatest gain. My greatest gain is not how much I can store up here on earth, not how much I can get for myself, not how much will be worthy for like what makes me feel satisfied and what makes me feel good and what popularity looks like and what all these things that the culture around us wants us to strive towards. He says, you know, the greatest gain for all of this when I get rid of all of this is to live in eternity with Christ. He says, that is what matters at the end of this day. That is what matters the most to Paul. And so, and he closes with this. I'm going to close with verses 12 through 16. And as he says this to them, he, he, I love that he, he, I think he just wants to keep relating to them, right? So as he writes this to him, he says, I count it all garbage. I no longer count these things valuable to me. And, and, and you know, I'm, I'm, I'm striving to go after Christ. He says, but I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection. But I press on to, pos- uh, to possess the perfection of which Christ Jesus first possessed me. Now, uh, no, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize of which God through Jesus Christ is calling us. Let us all who spiritually mature agree to these things. If you disagree at some point, I believe God will make it plain to you. But we must hold on to the progress we have already made. We must hold on. I love it. I want to just read read, read, um, verse 14. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize, which God, which for uh, prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. And then he ends it with, but we must hold on to the progress we have already made. If your reason for pressing forward is a list of things that will fade with this earth, you may need to rethink what it looks like to press forward in faith as a believer. So I, I came, I, I wanted to share a word that I was like, oh God, it's just so, uh, they probably heard it already. Follow Jesus. That's, that's what I'm telling you guys. Don't give up. There it is. But here's why I wanted to share this. Life gets hard, so hard. And I was, uh, I was spending time with the, um, on the phone with Imari uh, Thanksgiving night. I want to say Thanksgiving Eve, but then people think that the day before Thanksgiving. But it was Thanksgiving night. I'm sure you wanted that detail. It's important. <laughs> it's, it is. Write it down, please. Imari and I were talking on Thanksgiving night. If you write that down, go back to it. Uh, 
may it encourage you. That's ADHD at its best, guys. So, um, Thanksgiving night, we're hanging out, we're talking, and uh, and and uh, we're just being transparent and honest, and just talking about things. And uh, I said to Amaria, you know, I was like, man, there's just sometimes I look back at the the play, like I wish I was a lot further ahead than where I am. I said, sometimes I look and I'm like, why am I still struggling with the blank? Why am I still believing this lie of blank? Why am I still doing this? And he just remembered this verse and he goes, you know what's crazy? He says, because um, I just keep thinking about when Paul was like, you know what? We may not be where we want to be. We may not fully, but we're better than where we were. And it says, so I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. But we must hold to the progress we have already made. So here's the encouragement. Hold on. Hold on to the progress that you've already made as a church. Do not let the things of this world around you through hardship stop you from growing and celebrating the fact that we have an eternal prize in heaven that is guaranteed And so keep moving forward. Keep running the race. Do not get caught up in the things of this world that feel so true at times. Man, have you ever felt, have you ever heard a lie that has, you know what a good lie is? Just enough truth for you to believe it. That's how the enemy works. He gives you just enough truth where you're like, well, yeah, I I do struggle with this, so that must be who I am. It's not. Jesus doesn't see you as that. Well, you know, I'm not, I don't, I don't know if I know scripture really well. And, and, you know, I'm not encouraging you not to read the word of God, but quote as much as you want. That's not going to be the reason why Jesus loves you. Do you understand what I'm saying? You have to be able to understand these things because guys, as you go, as you get older, and many of you guys in there is a mixed crowd of people, you are going to feel the weight of this world pressing on you and trying to get you to forget about the progress that the church, us, Christ, the bride has made and say, just go backwards. There's something better for you back there. But if you stay steadfast and you keep your eyes fixated on God, I promise you this, you have no regret when you're sitting in eternity with God and thinking, I didn't press on because of my status. I didn't press on because of my education. I didn't press on because of my health. I didn't press on because life was always good. I didn't press on because I was perfect in all my ways. I pressed on solely because of Jesus Christ, the Lord and Savior who died on the cross for my sin to live in eternity with him. That's what I want to remind you guys of. Everything else will fade. Everything else. I don't care how trendy your church is. I don't care how many churches win Grammys and, and write great songs and, and have the coolest dress, you know, clothing and style and all this stuff that we think matters to Christ. It doesn't if it's not centered around him. So stop striving after the things of this world because we may not have people in the church doors as old Jewish Christians telling us to go do X, Y, and Z, but we may have people at church doors saying things like this, you gotta build an album until you're real popular as a church because you'll grow. You gotta make sure you succeed. You know, if you're not, if you're not fit well, if you don't look good, if, if you're not saying things that are really tickling the ears of the people, hey, how do we make sure that people feel, like what's the best version of making sure that when people walk through these doors, they feel super welcome, like, and then we begin to grow a country club of a church. None of that matters, guys. I know that might be awkward to hear, but it doesn't at the end of the day. It doesn't at the end of the day. It all fades. It's good in its place. 
So my prayer for this is that breakthrough will not be a church that strives after what even the world of Christian culture may say is success. But it will be rooted in the word of God. This is what will sustain the house. This is what will sustain Pastor Andrew. Pressing forward, why? For one reason. I want to spend eternity with Jesus Christ. Everything else doesn't matter. Everything else doesn't matter. I'm not knocking any, anybody. I know some of those statements, but it's just the reality and it's getting me so sick to my stomach watching people's priorities start to shift and change from the gospel of Jesus Christ to how do we build our own kingdom in the church. And then when bad things happen and people are living in brokenness and the enemy's attacking us, we can't even go to the word because all we've been really doing is listening to somebody who's been telling us things that we really want to hear and nothing that's going to convict us and move us forward in the walk with Christ. So pressing on goes much further than just religious duties. Pressing on goes in when you are rooted in Christ and you're a part of a community of people that are pointing you back to Jesus. That's honestly how Paul ends Philippians 3. He says, follow the way I do things. It's a pretty confident statement to make. I would advise you not to follow fully the way I do things, but it says, follow the way I do things. Follow the people around you. <laughs> like, uh, I don't know, Paul, if we're going the right direction. Trust me, it's good. Come on over. Uh, he says, follow me. What was he encouraging them to do? Stay rooted with true believers. People who are focused and fixated on Jesus. Follow me. So how do you press on? Not alone. Not alone. We were not called to live alone. And you know what? The bank can come up because I'm closing. Um, we're not called to live alone. We're called to live in community. And so some of you guys, in my opinion... Uh, and I struggle with this, maybe part of, part of how hard it is to hear a message like press on and fo focus on God is because you're, you're living life alone or you're living it with the wrong people and the wrong perspective. And so you're hearing press on and move forward and chase after Jesus and you're like, oh, I hate this guy. Thank you for nothing. Change your atmosphere and watch your life get radically changed as well. If the atmosphere isn't speaking Jesus over your life, remove it. Get out of it. If you think life is better on your own because you're ashamed of your past, stop buying into the lies and begin to confess and confide in true believers and let the Holy Spirit pour over you and take something that feels like the worst thing in the dark and bring it into light and watch how God radically changes it. That's good community. Do you want to know how do you press on? Most people give up the race because they're running al alone. But, and I don't race, but people, my friends do, so don't, <laughs> don't do those things. But this is what I do know. When I go to cheer on my friends, they're like, do you want to give so-and-so a cup of water? I'm like, sure, I'll give them water. Then you kind of feel cool. You're like, here's the water, keep going. Here's the water, keep going. Here's the water, keep going. And I'm not, and in, truth be told, I'm like, I don't know why you're doing this, but keep going. You're going to make it and get a medal. But in all honesty, that's the beauty of what the kingdom of God really should be. We should be spending more time passing out water that's living. That has no, has no delay. No expiration date. On time water, which is the living word of God. 
So how do you help each other press on? You give spiritual water to each other. You can do this. You can keep going forward. Don't give up. Hey, I know what you think you should be ashamed of. I know what you think you're still struggling with, but Jesus loves you where you're at. Keep going. Yeah, but if you knew my past, I don't care about your past. I don't, listen, we're going to get on the face before the Lord together, and we're going to pray for healing. Oh, but what if I mess up tomorrow? That's okay. Let's get back on our face tomorrow and keep praying and worshiping Jesus. Yeah, but what if it lingers and stays with me? Well, in my weakness, He is strong. So then I will boast even more so in who God is than in myself. So let it come after me. But I know one thing is true. God will never leave me. He will never forsake me. And whether it's here on earth or in heaven, there will be breakthrough. There will be hope. So press on. Grab a hold of a community around you. Find people in your life. Get vulnerable with them. This is literally how Paul ends it. And model after them and point people back to Jesus and watch the hope of the living God fill you and satisfy you in ways that you would never, ever experience outside of who Jesus is. You'll never find that anywhere else. It's a lie from the enemy. And so, Lord, this is what I pray. This is my hope. That your people will press on that what they find profitable and of great value will begin to change if it's not centered around you. The greatest gift, the greatest value is simply you. Lord, don't let us leave today if we don't feel like you're enough. You're enough, God. You're enough, Holy Spirit. You're enough. You're enough. What the world may take away from me, I still say I will worship you. I still say I will praise you. What I don't feel like I can have in full completeness, I know I will find in you, God. I know I will find in you. You're enough. You're enough. You're enough. Only you, God. It's only you we want. Let's do this. Let's get up and just start to pray that. It's only you that we want. It's only you, God. It's only you, Holy Spirit. I love what Imari says. Sometimes we need to keep repeating it to get our soul caught up with our mind. It's only you, God. It's only you that we want. Nothing else will satisfy us. You are the greatest gift. You are the best value. You are the greatest profit. It's only found in you. May your people know this so well and be encouraged. May they walk out with freedom and in truth. In the name of Jesus, amen.